So we are there in Colossians chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 3 to verse 5 <coughs> this evening. And we've titled this, The Max of a True Christian, and we're looking at the theme of love. Now, on 22nd of July, 2011, Anders Bering Brevik bombed government buildings in Oslo, Norway, right? Uh, eight people died in that first bombing. Then, of course, he went off to Utoya Island, where he killed 69 people uh, in a mass shooting. And this massacre was all over the news. Uh, the court sentence for Brevik came down to a very simple question. Was Brevik mentally healthy enough to be held responsible for the crimes he had committed? That was the question. Now, some of the court-appointed psychiatrists looked into this question, and they diagnosed Brevik with paranoid schizophrenia and criminal insanity. So as far as they are concerned, you know, Brevik should just have gone, not have gone to prison, but he should have spent his life in a psychiatric hospital. In the end, of course, experts versus experts, the court sided with the other experts who said Brevik was not mad, and the judge sentenced Brevik to 21 years in prison. Uh, my aim is not to uh, <laughs> de debate that issue again, but I just want to remind you that the trial at the time sparked an important question. And the question it sparked was this, what is a normal healthy mind? What is a normal health mind? There was a lot of people writing about this issue. It was a big issue. What behavior should we expect from a healthy mind? Opinion was divided. But there was one thing that everyone agreed on. And it was this. The state of the mind, right, is reflected in our behaviors. Actions reflect our mind. And the Bible says, all true followers have a new healthy mind, right? We have been born of God. We, we made that point in the morning again. If you like, we have received a new life in Christ. And therefore, if we accept the principle that actually reflect the mind, if we have the mind of Christ, therefore our behavior should somehow reflect this new mind we've received in Christ. The way we live before God and towards one another should reflect that we are new people in Christ. There must be spiritual marks that are clear in our lives that says, yes, this person has received a new life. And we've been looking at these marks. We started this morning looking at the marks in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6, where Paul describes three marks we should expect in a healthy Christian, in a true Christian. In these verses, as I said this morning, Paul is thanking God for the evidences he has seen of true Christian faith in the life of the Colossians. And there are three of them. Paul mentions faith. We looked at that this morning. He mentions love and hope as, as the other two marks. And this evening I want us to look at love. But it's a specific love Paul is concerned about. It's love for all the saints, for other believers. Please look at me there, verse 3 to 4 to 5. It says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus 
and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you are there before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Now I think we can summarize the key truth Paul is teaching us here concerning this mark of love in one sentence. And the key truth Paul is teaching us is this. All true followers of Christ have love for other followers of Christ. All true followers of Christ have love for other followers of Christ. Now, when we think about that truth, and as we begin to unpack it, I just want to unpack it with three observations about that truth. First of all, I want us to see this evening that this statement that all true followers of Christ have love for other followers of Christ is a statement of fact. It's a statement of truth. What do I mean by that? I mean that all true Christians, by definition of being Christians, love other Christians. This is because when we become Christians, we are now born in a new family in Christ. The love of God, if you like, is the glue that binds us in this family. Before we became followers of Christ, we were cut off from life and the love of God. We were without God and without hope in the world. And we would say, if we were without God, we were without love. And Paul writing to Titus said, we lived in hating others and being hated. We lived a life of hatred. Because we, true love is only found in God and we were cut off from God. But by the grace of God in Christ, God has now given us a new life in Christ. We are now being brought into a loving union. Same one number two, right? Verse two. We've been brought into a loving union in Christ. We are in Christ. Right? We are now in Christ and living for Christ and by Christ. And this union in Christ we have is a union of love, you see. We are in a union of love with the Trinitarian God, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And now we are also in union, the Greek word being kononia, in kononia with other believers. We are in union with God and his children in Christ. Our new life is now connected to this eternal love of the Holy Trinity. And and God showers endless love on us. And that love works in, binds us to other believers who are also children of God. Every true believer, by definition, lives in this union of love. And by virtue of our shared union in Christ... All true believers inherently love each other. We love each other positionally. That is to say, believers are designed in Christ to be a perfect body together. We are parts that are designed to fit together. We love each other practically in the sense that the same love of Christ that lives in us, lives in me, also lives in anyone here who is a true believer. So we are connected in this love together by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of love. And our king is the king of love. And the language in his kingdom is the language of love. 
And so when Paul says here, verse 3 to 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, you know what? Paul is simply describing what is true of every true follower. Yes, he's talking to the Colossians, but he's simply describing what it is, what reality is. All true followers of Jesus love each other as a statement of fact because we are united in Christ by the union that Christ has brought about, that kononia. We love each other. That's a starting assumption. I am emphasizing this point, of course, because all of us here are prone to forget that we, that if we are truly converted, we already exist in a loving union with other believers. Just as the husband and wife already exist in a loving union, if you are in Christ, you exist in a loving union with other believers. We forget that. We don't come to church learning how to love one another. We come to church to live out that already reality that we have in Christ, which is a reality of a union of love. But we forget that, don't we? We forget that. Now imagine what our fellowship would be like as a church if every true believer in this church believed this truth, that they are already in a loving union with another believer in the church by virtue of being in Christ. How would our church look like? I think it would be a church buzzing, first of all, with thanks to God for each other. Thanks, gratitude is the beginning. Paul starts with it, doesn't it? And the gratitude is there, why? Because we know, <laughs> we know we are fundamentally God's gift to each other. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? God has given you as a gift to another believer. A gift of love. Because he has brought you not to be alone in Christ, but to exist in a union of love, powered by the Holy Spirit. And so our starting position would be thanksgiving and just buzzing with thanks for each other. We would shift from hunting for faults in others to being people who are expecting the love of Christ. You see, our expectations changes. We are not expecting to find faults. We are expecting to find love in other believers because we are already bound with them in love. We would be a church where it is easy to resolve conflicts. Why? Because we would approach each other not standing on our own goodness, but standing on the perfect union of love that we are already bound with in Christ. Beloved, we need to understand that true followers of love for other followers as a statement of fact. We will never enjoy life together as God has intended until we mature. And I'm talking about here maturity. Until we spiritually mature to understand this truth. That God calls us to love in practice because we are already a union of love. God, just as God calls the husband to love the wife and the wife to love the husband because they are already in union. That's what it's supposed to be. 
in the same way God calls us to love one another in practice because that is who we are in Christ. It's a statement of fact. And so maybe as you're hearing me this evening, the first thing we need to do, all of us this evening, is just to pause now, isn't it? And just quietly in our hearts repent before God for how easily we disregard this great truth, this wonderful truth of the union we already share in Christ. Repent that you struggle to see other believers as already in a union of love with you. And this makes it harder for you to then love them in practice. Repent of your self-focus. Because that's the biggest issue, self-focus, isn't it? Repent of your self-focus. Repent that you are not thankful enough to God for placing other followers of Jesus in your life to love and care for you and for you to love and care for them. All true followers of Jesus love, have love for other followers of Jesus as a matter of fact, as a statement of fact. And that's the thing, first thing we should understand from what Paul is saying here. The second thing we should note here about what Paul says about the love of the Colossians is that he's also making a statement of affirmation. All followers of Jesus have love for other followers of Jesus, not simply as a statement of fact, it's actually a statement of affirmation or commendation. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, Notice here that Paul could have kept private his thanks to God for the Colossians. He could have just thanked God privately. He didn't have to write it down. He said something good is happening. He would have kept it to himself and to the Lord, right? But Paul is going public. He's putting it on Twitter, we might say. It's It's on Facebook, isn't it? He's going public. He wants to affirm, commend the love of the Colossians for one another publicly. Paul is saying to them, you have true faith in Christ, and I know your faith is true because your love is evident to everyone. People have seen your love. They are talking about your love for other believers. Now, I want to just to take that in with this thought. This affirmation from Paul about the love of the Colossians for other believers is a high commendation. Why do I say that? Because of the nature of the love he's talking about. This is not pop music love. When Paul says the Colossians have love for other followers of Jesus, the word Paul is using is what? Agape. That is the word in the original language. What is agape? Agape is free, unconditional, and uninfluenced love that God has poured richly into our hearts. Romans 5. It is a love with no strings attached. Now, you may know a Christian author called Michael Whitman, right? Well, Michael Whitman, in one of his books, tells a story of Robertson and Muriel. And the story said, I guess, as he describes it, it's in the year 1990, right? 
The couple have just celebrated 42 years of marriage, Robertson and Miriam. But soon after that anniversary, what happens is that Robertson notices Muriel is forgetting some basic things she normally wouldn't forget. She's forgetting the dessert when she makes dinner. She's forgetting Bible passages that she just used to no longer go recite like that. Bible passages she knows by heart. And so when Robertson sees this, he's, he's shocked. And then it begins to dawn on him that this is getting worse. And as the situation gets worse, Muriel is going to need round-the-clock care. So what am I going to do? It's a big question for him because, you see, Robertson is president of a Bible college. And so the, so the question he's asking himself is, should I retire as president of the Bible college to care for my wife? Or should I just put Muriel in a nursing home and carry on with my life and the work of God? And of course, you know that some friends, they come to Robertson, they tell him, look, you're doing great work for the Lord at the Bible college. Just put Muriel into care. The Lord understands that. And by the way, Muriel is going to adjust to life. Yeah, she wants you to notice it for a week, but eventually she'll come get used to that life. She won't even know what she's been missing. But the problem is, you see, Robertson remembers that 42 years ago, he made a vow to his wife. He made a vow to God to stand by his wife in sickness and in health. <clears throat> and so he asks himself, how can I abandon her now? So Robertson, as he's wrestling with this, what does he do? He decides to hire a nurse to stay with Muriel while he goes to work part-time at the Bible college. But it does not take long for Muriel to get alarmed by this. In fact, she starts following him to the Bible college. She misses him. And Robertson is overwhelmed by this, you see. He's overwhelmed by the desire of his struggling wife to be with him. So he says to himself, with me, Muriel is content. Without me, she's in despair. There's only one thing I must do. I need to resign my job, and I need to focus my attention on my wife. Yes, a day will come because of my health or Muriel's health when I am not the best person to look after her. But for now, and this is important, it says she needs me and frankly, I need her. And so for the next 10 years, Robertson lovingly cares for his wife. He baths and feeds her. Even as Muriel loses her speech, she eventually loses her legs and her hands become limp. And each night, Robertson kisses his wife goodnight and he whispers a prayer. He says, dear Jesus, you love sweet Muriel more than I do, so please keep my beloved through the night. May she hear the angels' choirs singing. And he does that until the night Muriel died and went to be with the Lord. As we think about that love of 
Robertson and Miro, propelled indeed by the love of Christ. It's, it reminds us what true love is, isn't it? Sacrifice, commitment, putting others first. And yet, as amazing as Robertson's love is, it doesn't even come anywhere close to describing what agape is. This word Paul uses here. Remarkably, it doesn't. Because agape is love that not only reaches to the person who deserves my love, like my wife, agape is love that reaches out to your enemy. Agape, Robertson's love will be perfect agape if he does that to the person who hated him. And when we think about agape, it's free, it's unconditional. Love for the unlovable. We recognize that the only perfect demonstration of agape is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, isn't it? 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is agape. In this is love. Not that we have agape God, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Bible is saying that the Apostle John is saying, God has loved us whilst we still hated him. And yet, even in that, as we hated him, God reached out, didn't he? He reached out to us rebels in Christ to share his agape love to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we come back to Colossians now, with that word now properly understood in our minds, what Paul is saying here is that these new Colossian believers are living out this unconditional love in their relationship with each other. Now, of course, you'll be quick to tell me, look, and you're right, their agape is not as perfect as the agape of God for us in Christ. Paul is not saying they are loving as God has loved us. God is an infinite and perfect being. His love is perfect. His love has infinite capacity. Our love will always be finite, even in glory, but it will be perfected in glory when we see the Lord Jesus face to face. So no one here is talking about that the Colossians are loving as God loves, as God in his infinite being. Rather, even now, the Colossians are showing glimpses of agape in their local church. And that's why the, that's the reason Paul uses this word. People can see that the Colossians' love resembles the love of God. There are signs of the Colossians loving other followers of Jesus who are unlovable. They are loving believers who are difficult to love. They have a genuine affection for other followers who out of sin say nasty things or untrue things about them. Not just behind their back, perhaps even to their faces. 
They are desiring and longing for good for those believers around them who perhaps seem to have little time to open up their hearts and homes to them. Yet they are reaching out to them. Glimpses of agape. They are reaching out to believers around Colossae and beyond from all sorts of background, regardless of ethnicity or financial or social status. Glimpses of agape. And when Paul and Timothy heard of these things, it filled them with thanks to God because, you see, it showed that these were true Christians. Paul's affirmation of the Colossians reminds us that true Christians' love are the followers of Jesus. And we, as believers, must affirm and commend such love when we see it in our fellowship. Paul commended the Colossians, and we must commend when we see it. Because that's the way we encourage one another in this love. You see, all Christians have a moral responsibility to affirm one another. All praises goes to God. And the way we praise God is by recognizing the work he's doing in the lives of other people. You see, failing to commend others is a sin. Because we rob God praise when we do not point out the reflection, his reflection, in the people he has knit together in his image in Christ. If we see another believer displaying the love of Christ and we do not tell them they're doing it, all we're doing is robbing God praise. We are missing an opportunity to acknowledge that God is at work through that person. Now, of course, we, we need to ensure that as we affirm the love of God in others, we do it the way Paul is doing it here, isn't it? Paul is doing it here without idolizing human beings. What we have here is God-centered affirmation. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your love that you have for all the saints. God-centered affirmation. He's thanking God, not the Colossians. And yet he's also directly affirming and commending them for what God is doing in their lives. He's saying to the Colossians, we are in all of God because of you. God alone deserves all the glory for all the love he's working out in your life. And we are so thankful to him for that. And beloved, let us in this fellowship follow Paul's example here. And ask the Lord to help us to start affirming brothers and sisters in this fellowship who are living out this agape love of Christ among us. Tell that brother, I am so thankful to God for you, the way you go out of your way to know people and just love them and take time out on Sunday morning to spend time with them and throughout the week just to know them. So thankful to God so that you sacrifice time in the middle of a busy week to visit another saint or just to sit opposite a young person in the church over coffee to encourage them in things of God. That is so Christ-like. Tell that sister, I am so thankful to God for you that you are giving your time to prepare the tea and coffee for us when we come in on a winter morning. You are choosing to serve me. Why should you serve me? It's not your job. But I'm thankful to God for that. I'm so thankful to God. The way I'm seeing you love people was so hard to get on with. 
sister. Your perseverance is challenging me to look to Christ. We need to commend people like that. I'm so thankful to God that you are working so hard to make this chapel clean all the time for us to use. Why should you bother? It's not your job. But I'm thankful to God that you're serving him in the middle of the night so that he's ready on Sunday morning. I'm thankful to God for your labor on the garden outside. So it's so wonderful. That's so Christ-like. We must affirm each other like this. Why? Because all true followers of Jesus love others. This is a statement of fact. And it is also a statement of affirmation to us that we are indeed in Christ. Here's the final thing. The final thing this evening. The final thing to note about what Paul says about the love of the Colossians is not only that he's making a statement of fact, it's not only he's making a statement of affirmation, but it is also a statement of exhortation. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now, I know there is no command here. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 is all indicatives. It's all about who we are in Christ. There's no command to do something. In fact, the first two chapters are a bit like that. It's when we get to chapter 3 that the commands begin. But I think even here, there's no command here, but we need to read these words Okay, we're going through the Bible verse by verse. Why are we doing that? Because we want to read the passages in the context of their whole letter. So we need to read these words in the context of Colossians. And Paul here, what he's doing is he's laying a foundation of a truth about love that he's going to come back to later. He's gonna t- he touches on it in chapter 2 and he touches on it in chapter 3. And when we read those chapters, we see that Paul goes on to remind them not to rest in their love, but to grow in their love for one another. Colossians chapter 2, verse, just you flick over, you see it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to 2 says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. face, to face. What is Paul struggling with, especially in prayer? that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. When we jump over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, it says this, Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, these are commands, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And listen to this. And above all these, put on love. They already have love. But he says, put on love. Grow in love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. This is where Paul is headed. So we're in chapter 1, but this is where Paul is headed. He's saying all followers of Jesus have love for other believers. And this love must keep growing out in practice. Beloved, you and I must not rest in our present condition of love for one another. That's a pitiful state to rest in. 
We must keep, it's great that we, we have that love for one another as a statement of fact and as a statement of affirmation, I affirm it, but we must long to grow, isn't it? We must keep growing in love one another because it is who we are. And because of what God has done for us in Christ. Now let me illustrate with a modern fairy tale, right? So a, a certain wealthy young man, David, is looking for love, right? Now, because David is very rich, he can't trust any woman he dates. He can't trust that they will truly love him just for him. Because he's so rich, beggar rich. Right? So he decides to move into Bexley, right? And he decides to rent a simple flat, right? He starts to work, I guess, as part-time, uh, part-time waiter at Zizi's, right? He pretends to be an average guy, Right? He dates several women in the area until finally he eats it off with a beautiful girl called Ruth. Ruth steals David's heart, right? They will call each other on the phone. They are talking all the time. And soon they declare their love for each other. And David now secretly starts to plan everything. Their life together as husband and wife. He buys a mansion for Ruth. Uh, in the, these nice parts of Bexley, there, right? <laughs> Wonderful mansion, right? And he gets a beautiful ring for her. He even books a honeymoon in the Maldives, right? That's why people go with cash, right? Maldives, so he seashores. And then, when he has done everything right, David reserves a table at a fancy Italian restaurant, or perhaps a wonderful spice we went to, right? Uh, he reserves a table there at the Broadway, and he takes Ruth to dinner, right? Now, at the right point in the evening, David nervously gets on his knees. He opens the box with the ring, and he asks Ruth, will you marry me? The place goes silent, doesn't it? It has to. He goes silent. Ruth puts her hand on her mouth. It's happening. Excitement. She's full of... It's a fairy tale, sister. She's full of tears. And then she says, yes, of course, I'll marry you, right? The place you know, erupts with applause. Now, when all of this thing is happening, David's people, very rich guy, of course, works behind the scene, you know, to move roof's clothes and personal items into the new mansion just in time for the wedding, right? They set up everything. They have chosen the wedding cakes, dresses, and the whole lot. And of course, a few days later, David and Ruth have a huge fairy tale wedding, and of course, they live happily thereafter. Here's the question, right? How do you think Ruth's life would turn out? Do you think Ruth has a good chance of loving David? Not just David, but also our relative, David's relatives. Do you think there's a good chance that she's just going to be all over David? She's going to love him. And, and not just love David, but love everything about David. Her family members. Or do you think Ruth would go to live with hatred and deceit in that marriage? Well, it would not be a fairy tale if she did that. And it's not the way our story ends. Because you see, we are Ruth in the story. God has come to us in Christ. He has lived our life, 
died on the cross for us so that we can have life with God. And as soon as we said yes to Christ, it brought us into union with Him. It bestowed on us all these vast and eternal riches of His love. And now with this amazing love bestowed on us, how can we go on living in hatred? No, beloved. Our fairy tale is a true fairy tale. We go on then, isn't it, to love Christ and to love his family, the church. The true Christian is in Christ. And the mark of being in Christ is that we love other believers. And this love for other believers is meant to keep growing. So here's a question I just want to leave you as we come to an end. The question I want to leave you with this evening is this. What specific way is God calling you this evening to grow to love other followers of Jesus with his agape? Which followers of Christ in your life is the Lord Jesus calling you to grow in loving in a sacrificial way? More than you have ever sacrificed before. Who is God calling you to love right now in an unconditional way? With no strings attached. Which followers of Christ in your life is God calling you to love who are difficult or like us how we were before God before Christ came and laid down his life for us who are the unlovables and not just unlovables but they are difficult you know the sort whom hugging they'll be holding a gun against you right what is harder, even when you really love them? I love you. Can't you see it now? Who is that person in your life? For well, this evening, come before the Lord. Starting with believers, who are these people? But also know that this call for believers, yes, the context believers, applies in the rest of our lives, isn't it? in our families, in our, wherever God has placed us, in our places of work. Ask the Lord to help you to grow in this area of love because true followers of Jesus have love for others, beloved. And this is a statement of fact. We are already in union of love with other believers. But it's also a statement of affirmation, isn't it? If we belong to Christ, there is already practical evidence of this love for others. And we must thank God for it. And finally, it's a statement of exhortation. We must love other followers of Jesus with the love that grows. Let us grow in our love in Christ. Amen.